Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. Hey everybody, and hello Corinne. Hi Mike, it's good to be here. Well, it is awesome to have you. You know, it's a cool way for us to start 2021 doing this series together. The series is called, What Do I Do If? It's a series about marriage, but the principles that we talk about also apply to every one of your significant relationships, which is a big deal. Because I really believe that we can aim for something better this year. But in order to do that, we're going to have to come together. And it's really a lot more simple than we make it out to be, because we can come together by starting with those who are closest to us. And so today we want to talk about the question, what do I do if I hate myself? And it's interesting because you might think, well, that's odd. Like I thought we were talking about relationships and now we're saying hate myself. Well, let me tell you something that you already know. That when a person hates themselves, they don't treat the people around them very well. Have you ever noticed that? Maybe you've heard it explained this way, that hurting people hurt people and that broken people break people. And so we want to talk today about self-hatred and insecurity. In order to do that, I want to kind of frame our discussion a little bit by talking about a spiritual principle. And it's the difference between condemnation and conviction. Okay, so condemnation is when you spend your life looking backwards. You live in the painful past. You define yourself according to what's already happened. So in other words, if I look back at my painful past and I see that there's been times that I have had failures, I might decide that, well, I am a failure today, tomorrow, and for the days to come. Or if I look back and I have some regrets in my painful past, I might decide that I am a regretful person today, tomorrow, and for the days to come. If I look back and I see that there's things that I did back then that are humiliating to me, I might decide that I am going to be humiliated today, tomorrow, and for the days to come. The problem with condemnation is it leaves you powerless and full of self-hatred. Because by its very nature, the past is the past. We can't do anything to change it. God has a different plan, and God's plan is conviction. And conviction lives life facing forward. So what we do is we actually take lessons from yesterday, apply them to today, and build a better tomorrow. Does that make sense? And and so conviction is God's plan for you. And conviction actually um, leads to a stance of power because we can actually do something about it and hope. Hope. And so conviction is God's plan to step out of self-hatred and to step out of insecurity. And it's actually your key to better relationships also. That's so good. So good. So I have a lot of issues in my life, but I never thought that insecurity was one of those issues because I thought that an insecure person looked a certain way. And I didn't see those certain things in my own life. Like I didn't um, spend a lot of time, you know, having negative thoughts about myself. I didn't struggle a lot with jealousy. I felt overall pretty confident in, you know, my abilities and my personality, whatever. But lately in this journey that I've been on, I have discovered some things about myself that have actually really surprised me. And I'm going to share those in a minute. So I've talked to you guys two weeks ago about this process of waking up and how a couple of years ago, I felt God say to me, it's time to wake up. And that I've been on a journey since then and that this journey has been a lot more painful than I thought it would ever be. Like, have you ever been outside when it's really, really cold, like below freezing, and your hands and your feet start to freeze and they go numb? And have you ever noticed that when you get into the house 
and they start to thaw out is when the pain starts. Mm. So do we then say you are better off you know, outside when your hands and feet were frozen because it hurt so much when they were thawing out? We would never say that. Yeah. Well, I see so many parallels to that as I do to the process of waking up that we all have to do. We all have to walk into the people who we were created to be. This process of becoming who we were meant to be before the world happened to us. Because there's one thing that I know, one thing that's worse than the pain of thawing out, it's staying frozen. So no matter how much it hurts, we need to keep moving forward, trusting that God is at work inside us. So what do I do if I hate myself? I can say with confidence that if you have those feelings inside yourself, they're rooted in your painful past. And I wanna encourage you today to begin moving forward and trusting that God is the God who heals you. And that's what he wants for you and that's what he will do for you. And I want you to remember that pain is part of the process of thawing out. So don't give up when it starts to hurt because there's something worse than the pain of thawing out and that's staying frozen. So I'm going to talk again about the Enneagram. (laughs) I know you're all waiting for it. You're dying to hear this. So the Enneagram is an ancient personality test for those of you who have never heard of it before. But I love it so much because it has brought so much self-knowledge into my life. And Mike has also been learning about the Enneagram and learning about himself through the Enneagram. And because I'm getting self-knowledge and he's getting self-knowledge, we've been able to work on some of the issues that we have when my personality meets his personality. And it's been so helpful and it's given us so many tools. So I think we need the link again that we gave last week. So if you do not know your Enneagram type and you want to, you can text the keyword me to 604-670-3040. So I'm gonna park there just for a second. According to the Enneagram, there's nine basic personality types. And for every one of those personality types, there's a basic fear that emanates from a basic desire. But here's what's so crazy, is that every one of those basic fears originates in our painful past and perpetuates self-hatred and insecurity. Okay, so let me kind of take you through a walk through the nine personality types, okay? Enneagram personality type number one, okay? The basic fear is to be bad or to be defective because their basic desire is what? To be good. Enneagram number two, basic fear is to be unloved because their basic desire is to be loved. Okay, Enneagram number three, that's me, that's my type. Basic fear is to be worthless because their basic desire is to be valuable. Enneagram number four. So their basic fear is that they would lose their identity or their sense of themselves because their basic desire is to be fully actualized everything that they were meant to be. Enneagram number five, their basic fear is that they would be uh, incompetent or incapable because their basic desire is to be competent and capable. Enneagram number six, basic fear is that they would be without guidance and without support because their basic desire is to have support and guidance in their life. Okay, Enneagram seven. Enneagram sevens, their basic fear is that they would be deprived because their basic desire is that they would be satisfied. So Enneagram number eight, Their basic fear is that they would be controlled or harmed and their basic desire is that they would protect themselves. And then Enneagram number nine, which is Corinne, um, basic fear is abandonment or fragmentation because your basic desire is peace and wholeness. So I just want you to think about that because every one of those basic fears, it 
it originates in our painful past and it perpetuates, if we allow that fear to run out of control in our lives, it perpetuates insecurity and self-hatred. And so what happens is you have these two people and they get married and each one of them, if being controlled by fear, is at this place of self-hatred and insecurity and basically incapable of treating each other the way that they need to, if that makes sense. Yeah, and this is how it plays out. Like I have issues and those are me issues and Mike has issues and those are you issues. And then when my me issues meet his you issues, it's not a good scene, Hmm. right? So it's so easy at that point to start playing the blame game and start pointing fingers because my me issues get worse when they meet your you issues. So it's gotta be your fault, right? But nothing stagnates a marriage and stops you from moving forward than pointing fingers at each other. We all have to work on ourselves. Yeah, I would go even one step further with that too and suggest to you that what often happens in marriage, it's not just that um, I blame you, it's like I expect you to solve my problems. I expect you to solve my issues when really the issues that I have are deep inside, rooted in my painful past, perpetuating my self-hatred and my insecurity and I need to deal with them. So let's talk about Karina specifically. So I told you I'm a three. Now my basic desire is to be valuable. I've said this before, but if you do not turn to God to meet your basic desires, you will always turn to one of three things. You'll either turn to what you have, what you do, or what people say about you. Okay, and the problem with doing that is that it doesn't work. So no matter how much you have, you never have enough. No matter how much you do, you never do enough. No matter how many good things people say about you, it's never quite enough. So for me, my biggest temptation throughout my life is has been to meet that basic desire of being valuable by what I do. So what happens when I get unhealthy, I start to become driven to accomplish, driven to succeed, driven to achieve, driven to win, and and I start to live my life at a real unhealthy, unmanageable pace. Okay, so that's me. That's my basic fear playing out, running roughshod in my life. So now let's talk about Corinne. So Corinne's basic desire is wholeness and peace. All right, and, and I think, Corinne, if you look back through your life, you would say your biggest temptation isn't to find that desire through what you do, but more like what you have. And not like money and stuff, but that you would have like a peaceful, happy, relaxed home. So I want you to think about that for a second. So here I am, and I'm driving myself at this unmanageable pace, and Corinne's fear is driving her to just not rock the boat. And so that's how the me the issues inside of me driven by that basic fear running my life and causing all this self-hatred and insecurity and the basic fear in somebody else can run roughshod in a marriage, if that makes sense. It does. It's really good. So I mentioned before that I never thought that I was an insecure person, right? Hmm. Well, the the self-knowledge that I've gained from the Enneagram and then also the process of counseling that I've committed to has really started to put some really important puzzle pieces together in my life. And I have realized that the deepest need, the one that you mentioned of nines for wholeness and, and, and peace, that has caused in me a deep insecurity, a fear of loss and separation. And that has absolutely ruled my life. It's, I have, modified my behavior in order to avoid loss and fragmentation and abandonment. Mm -hmm. But guess what? Loss and fragmentation and abandonment happened anyways. So many of you know a bit about my story. If you've listened to my Mother's Day sermon or talks that I've given in the past, um, 
I've shared about my early life and even into my adult years, my family of origin has confirmed something to me and taught me something very clearly, that I am easy to leave. And then into our ministry life, this was reinforced to me as people who were important to me and important to us in our lives found it easy to leave me, easy to abandon me. And, and I believed that it was true that I was easy to leave. And that was such an incredible revelation to me that at the core of who I am, there was a lie. And that lie was causing me to behave and to speak and to act in certain ways. And I've realized that once you acknowledge that there is a lie at the core of who you are, that lie loses its grip a little bit and you can start to heal. So if you are having thoughts towards yourself that you are easy to hate, that you are hateable, there is a lie at the core of who you are. And I want to encourage you today to begin the process of getting past your past. Get some help. That lie is rooted in your painful past, like Mike talked about earlier, and you need to move past it. You will never be the person who I know you want to be if you don't begin to heal that painful place inside of you. Your marriage is never going to be what I know you want it to be if you don't begin the process of healing. And God is with you, so never forget that. Never forget that there's something worse than the pain of thawing out and that's staying frozen. Mm. So great timing. We have Freedom Sessions yeah. starting on February 1st. And honestly, this is such an amazing program. It's an online group that we're launching. Um, and it is all about getting past your past. Yeah. Okay, so it is perfect timing. So if you want any more information about Freedom Session or you want to jump in mm -hmm. to start on February the 1st, there is an address below me. And you can go to that address, fill out a connect card, and start to move forward with this. Because here's the thing. At some point in our lives, we have to make a decision. And that decision is that we're going to move past our painful past and not be controlled by those fears that perpetuate this feeling of insecurity and self-hatred. So I really believe today would be the day. Today is the day to say, I'm going to learn from my painful past. I'm going to apply it to today and start building something beautiful tomorrow. This is the day. So I just want to talk about one more unhealthy pattern of behavior that I noticed in my own life that was rooted in this basic fear, this deep insecurity inside me of loss and fragmentation and abandonment. And it's something called overfunctioning. And I came across this term in the book I recommended last week, The Emotionally Healthy Woman by Jerry Cesaro. Awesome book. If you haven't got it, I, I highly recommend it. But this concept of overfunctioning is basically this. One person does things that the other person in a relationship is very capable of doing for themselves and they should be doing them for themselves. So like I, wow, I had to put the book down when I read about that because it was kind of like, oh, this light went on. It's like, oh my goodness, I overfunction everywhere. So for example, when the kids were little, we talked about this two weeks ago, um, I overfunctioned at home. I did everything with the kids and in the home and I rarely asked for help. I rarely expected anything of you or asked anything of you. I rarely asked for time for myself. And as a result of doing that, Mike underfunctioned in his role at home. And also my overfunctioning just perpetuated Mike's 
unhealthy work-life balance. He worked too much. And, and if I hadn't overfunctioned, he would have been, you know, more motivated to find a healthier balance in his life. So I do this in, in my marriage relationship, and I also do this in every relationship in my life, every significant relationship, I overfunction. So here's just a silly example. So this coming Saturday, my daughter Emma and I planned a trip to Ikea. My other daughter Tori found out that we were going and of course wanted to come, but she has Noah and he's 18 months old and no one in their right mind wants to take a toddler to Ikea for the day. So she suggested, why doesn't dad babysit? And I said, your dad? And she was like, yeah. So, well, what if... What if, uh, well, he's going to have to feed him. He's going to have to put him for a nap. Yeah. But what, what if he cries? She's like, mom, he'll be fine. And then I remembered that emotionally healthy women don't overfunction. Mike is more than willing and more than capable of looking after Noah for the day. And also Noah loves his grandpa so much. It's the cutest thing. His first word was grandpa. And I even have proof. And we're going to watch a video right now of Noah's first word. Where's Grandpa? Where's Grandpa? Noah? 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 Hey, where's Grandpa? How, how cute is that? That's and even cool. now, like I, I FaceTime Noah almost every day. And as soon as he sees my face, he says, Grandpa? Grandpa? Grandpa, and when I can't produce Grandpa, he cries and drops the phone and runs away. So, like, I'm chopped liver now whenever Grandpa's around. So Saturday's going to be fine, right? Yes. You guys are going to be great. Yes. Yes. He recruited our 21-year-old son, Gabe, to help him out for the day. Yes, I did. And I immediately began over-functioning again, peppering Gabe with all kinds of questions and potential scenarios that he might face. So I said to Gabe, like, you're going to have to sing to Noah before his nap or he'll cry. And he was like, I can do that said, you're also going to have to change at least one poopy diaper. And he said, oh, I can't do that. I'll puke. Dad will have to do that. So that, that's something for you to look forward to on Saturday. Yes. Okay, so since we're on the topic of poopy diapers, I want you to imagine this for just a second. I want you to imagine that I'm looking after uh, Noah on Saturday, Gabe, Bedza, Samuel, and me, because I also recruited Bedza and Samuel, just so you know. Okay, so we're all looking after Noah, and I do have to change a poopy diaper. And, and, and I think about this. Instead of throwing the poopy diaper away, I keep it and I store it in my garage. And that's really gross on all kinds of levels, but let's just say that I do that. I store it in my garage until the day that Noah turns 16 years old. And on the day that Noah turns 16, I go back and I get that poopy diaper and I shove it in his face. And I say, here it is, man. This is what you did. Are you proud of yourself? And you're looking at me right now going, Mike, that is so weird. Like, what are you talking about? I don't know. I guess I'm talking about this. You do that to yourself all the time. You keep dismissing yourself. You keep falling for self-hatred and insecurity because you won't let go of your painful past. And what I want to suggest to you is today is the day to stop. Learn from your painful past. Apply it to today and step into a beautiful tomorrow. Because here's the truth. I want you to think about it. On the soul level, you know who you are? You're beautiful. You're forgiven. You're anointed. You're adopted. You're completely and totally loved. And now your life just needs to catch up to your soul. 
So he was talking earlier about those nine Enneagram personalities and every one of them has a basic desire. And I know, I know, I know. If you're really into the Enneagram, you already know your basic desire. If you're kind of into it, you're going to be waiting to see what yours is. And if you're not into it at all, I still think some of this is going to resonate with you. But here's what's crazy about those nine basic desires. God's already met them at the soul level. Your soul knows, now your life just needs to catch up. So I want to talk to Enneagram ones for a second. Your greatest desire, your deepest desire is to be good. And here's the thing, you already are. Do you know that Jesus Christ who knew no sin became sin so that you could become the righteousness of God? In other words, you're as right as right could be right now. Your soul knows it. Now your life just needs to catch up. To the Enneagram twos out there, your deepest desire, your basic desire is to be loved. You know what? You already are. God so loved you that he sent his one and only son that when you believe in him, you won't perish but have everlasting life that starts right now. Your soul knows it. Now your life just needs to catch up. To my Enneagram three friends out there, our basic desire is to be valuable. And here's what's crazy. You already are. You know, the value of anything is determined by the price that was paid for it. You know, the price that was paid for you, that Jesus Christ, the son of God, gave his life for you and for me. We're valuable. Our soul knows it. Now our life just needs to catch up. To the Enneagram fours out there, your basic desire is that you would just be fully everything that you were created to be. Fully yourself. You know what? You are all, you're already moving towards that. Psalm 139 says that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. God knows you. God loves you. God has an incredible plan for you. He delights in you. And every day you have the opportunity to walk more and more into that person that you were created to be. Your soul knows it. Now your life just needs to catch up. To the Enneagram fives out there, your greatest desire is that you would be competent and capable. You know what's crazy? You already are. Ephesians 2.10 says this about you. You're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he, which he prepared in advance for you to do. You're capable. You're competent. You're gifted. Your soul knows that your life just needs to catch up now. To the Enneagram six out there, your basic desire is that you would have guidance and support. You know what's amazing? Proverbs three, five, and six is your passage, isn't it? That when you trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, if you acknowledge him in all your ways, he'll direct your path. You are supported you're guided. Your soul knows it. Your life just needs to catch up. To the Enneagram sevens out there, your basic desire is to be satisfied. You know what's crazy? Your soul already is. I know for sure that God will meet your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. So Enneagram sevens, you're not missing out. Take a breath. Enjoy the journey. Your soul knows it. Your life just needs to catch up. And to the Enneagram eights out there, your basic desires that you would protect yourself. You know what? Sometimes you don't have to. According to Psalm 23, you know what? That even if you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear any evil. You know why? Because God goes before you to prepare a way. He goes beside you to guide your steps. And he goes behind you. You know why? Because, <clears throat> because he's got your back. Your soul knows this. Now your life just needs to catch up. And to my Enneagram 9 friends like Corinne, your basic desire is peace and wholeness. And here's what I know. God promises this to you, that he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. Your soul knows it. Now your life just needs to catch up. And that's the journey. Stepping out of your painful past, 
Your soul knows this already. Now your life is just catching up. That's just so cool, the way you say that, that our souls know it, but our life is just trying to catch up. And I just have to talk about, so I've talked about how the Enneagrams help me and how counseling's helped me. There's one thing that I've been doing in my life that has transformed me on the inside more than anything else. And, and I really think that it is my life catching up with what my soul knows. Mm-hmm. And it's contemplative prayer. And I know that that sounds weird. Um, you know, it's meditation. And that maybe sounds a little bit weird. But it is just, I have been making space for God to speak into my life through silence and solitude and stillness. And that's a way that my life is catching up with my soul. We rush through our devotions. We rush through reading the Bible. And I've done it too. My whole life, I've done it that way. And when we do that, and I'm not trying to make anyone feel guilty, but when we do that, what we're doing is we're not allowing God the opportunity to console us at at our deepest level. Corinne, can I, can I give people a next step to take on this? Just yeah. real quick. Okay, one of the things that you could do if you want to take a next step is wherever you get your podcasts, go to the Encounter podcast. It's about a 15 to 20 minute daily time of contemplation and prayer. Uh, we both use mm-hmm. it and we both love mm-hmm. it. So if the whole concept of contemplative prayer seems intimidating or hard to you, that's a great place to start. I love it. So I just want to share with you all just something that God spoke into my life during one of these times of stillness when I was just, you know, making some space for God to speak to me, which is just a really new thing in my life. And it's been so meaningful. Um, I just want to give you a quick, quick summary of, of the story to give you some context. If you haven't listened to my Mother's Day talk, Um, A couple years ago, we went to Calgary to watch Lucas play uh, basketball at the University of Calgary, and we invited my dad to come and watch a game. And my dad and mom and I haven't had contact with each other for about 12 years. So this was like, this was um, an attempt to maybe see if we could, you know, move forward. And so it didn't go well. Um, at all. And at halftime, he, he just took the opportunity to, you know, yell at me and swear at me and just make it clear that there was no moving forward. So at, at that time, I, I just left. I ran. I in, hid in the bathroom. And um, when I was in the bathroom, I said to myself, no, like we came here to watch our son play basketball and that's what I'm going to do. And so I went and I sat on the other side of the bleachers up there and I, and I could see across the bleachers, I could see Mike and my dad and uh, my son-in-law, Josh, my daughter, Tori, and my now daughter-in-law, Lexi, sitting there. And I was watching the game and I remember this happening, but there was something in it that God wanted to show me. And he wanted to uh, console me through something that I had just sort of gone by quickly in my life. And that's what these times of stillness have done. So he showed me in that moment, I was sitting there and I was watching the game and I I could see everyone across there. And one by one, it started with my son-in-law and he came over and sat with me. And then my daughter followed and then my daughter-in-law followed. And Mike wasn't allowed to follow because I told him he had to stay with my dad. Um, and And they sat with me and we watched the rest of the game. And in this moment when God was showing me this, he just said to me, see, I will never leave you. And these people that you love the most, 
they are not going to leave you either. And there was so much healing that just took place inside me when I made the space for God to actually speak to me and console me. And I, on the other hand, sat by myself on the other side of the bleachers with your dad. We talked about about the story of the prodigal son. But thanks for sharing, honestly. I want to end today off with a story, maybe a little bit unexpected, but I think it's going to stick with you. There's a story in the Old Testament of the Bible uh, called Jonah and the Whale. And it's about this prophet named Jonah. And God speaks to Jonah. He says, Jonah, I want you to go to this city called Nineveh. And I want you to preach to them. I want you to preach so that they would repent and be saved. And Jonah's like, oh, no, I'm, I'm not going to Nineveh. I hate that place. I'm not getting anywhere near that place. And so Jonah actually jumps on a boat and heads in the opposite direction from Nineveh. But God sends a storm. And Jonah gets tossed into the sea, swallowed by a whale, and ends up back in Nineveh. He preaches to the people, they repent, and they are saved. Now, I tell you all that because I just want to ask you this one question. Why do you think God sent the storm? Do you think he sent the storm because he really loved the people of Nineveh? Well, yeah, partly, but like we know that God could have saved the people of Nineveh without Jonah, right? So why did God send the storm? God sent the storm because he loved Jonah. He didn't want Jonah to miss it. This story called redemption unfolding in this city. Now, now I say all that because believe it or not, you remind me a little bit of Jonah. And, and God sends storms into your life. God sends storms into my life. And I say, think sometimes those storms come from our most significant relationships or even our marriages. And, and I think that sometimes those storms direct us to those parts of our lives that we really don't want to have anything to do with. And I want to suggest to you today, if there's parts of your life that God's directing you towards that you're like, man, I hate that part of myself. Man, I can't stand that about me. God doesn't feel that way. God loves you. And he doesn't want to rub your nose in the painful past. He just wants us to learn from it, apply it to today, and move into something way better. See, God's got an incredible journey for you. Your soul already knows it, by the way. Now your life just needs to catch up. So just as we close today, I want to suggest to you that your marriage, that all your significant relationships really are going to change from the inside out. That it starts at your soul, at the deepest part of you. And here's what I know. I said it earlier, but I could never say it too many times, that God loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus, that if you believe in him, you'll never perish but have eternal life that starts right now. It'll transform you. It'll transform your relationships. So Jesus died for you. Jesus rose again for you. What's your next step? Just accept what he's already done and begin that relationship with him today. So I just want to give you that chance. I believe it'll transform your marriage from the inside of you out. Okay, so if that's you, if you want to take that step today, I'm going to pray, and why don't you pray along with me wherever you are. So dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you have this plan of redemption, and that plan starts at the deepest part of me, that you're going to deal with the insecurity, you're going to deal with the self-hatred, and you're going to transform me, applying my past to the present, and stepping into a better future. So Jesus, I pray that you would be my savior, that you died for me so that I don't have to carry those regrets around with me anymore. Thank you. And, and I also pray that you would be my Lord. I want to follow you. Give me the, the strength to follow you one next step at a time, today, tomorrow, and for the days to come forever. Thank you. In your name we pray. 
Amen. Amen. So if you just prayed that prayer, I just invite you to text the keyword LIFE, L-I-F-E, to 604-670-3040. We don't want to stalk you, but we really do want to support you. And other than that, Corinne, great job. Thank you. It was good to be here. It was fun. Yeah. And so don't miss next week. We're going to kind of finish the series off with a real easy question. What do I do if I'm falling out of love? Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.